Hi, I'm Michael. I'm a small business owner, investor, improv artist. I'm very, very neurotic, and I'm always looking for something new and interesting to entertain me. I'm a TV host, and I'm your host right now for what we call the Second Scene Podcast. It's a Dweebs Global production where you can get free resume help, uh, mental health assistance, and so much more, and it's completely free. They have mentors from around the world. So please go to dweebsglobal.org. It's free. I swear it's free. So I am here today with Jillian Rothschild Scholar. Jillian started her career as a college admission counselor, helping hundreds of students pursue her, their higher educations. Then Jillian eventually took her hobby and turned it into her ever-growing career. She is a Fang Shua, uh, I don't know if I said it right there. <laughs> we'll, learn, we'll learn all about it, how to pronounce it, <laughs> how to say it, what it is later on in the interview, but she's a Fang Shui or Fang Shua practitioner and consultant. Um, yeah, and we'll get to that. So how are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk with you. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to have you. Uh, I always start easy and just ask, where are you from? I'm originally from Ohio. I'm born and raised in Dayton, Ohio, the birthplace of aviation. <laughs> do you know how to fly a plane? Is that a... I do not know how to fly a plane. No, but I've visited the Air Force Museum more times than I can count. <laughs> yeah. I'm in DC. I, my favorite museum is the Air and Space. So yes, so. yes. So how did, how did you get into college admission consulting? So when I was in college, I took a job on campus like a lot of other people. And my first job on campus was to work in the admissions office. And I was on something called the Tele team. And we were a group of, I don't know, 10 of us that called prospective students to ask them what they knew about the university and talk with them about our experiences as actual college students. And we did that for three hours, Monday through Thursday for weeks. And that led me to a few other opportunities on campus. And by the time I graduated, and this was at the University of Toledo in Ohio, it's my undergraduate alma mater. And when I was graduating, finishing up my degree, a couple of people in the office would say, hey, you've been doing this for a long time. What are you gonna do now that you're graduating? And I kind of was like, I don't know. And I was getting a degree in international relations and political science and comparative governmental politics. And I didn't know what I was going to do with that. And I kind of looked at them and I was like, I'm really good at this. How do I get your job? <laughs> and they pointed me to um, the National Association of College Admissions Counseling, which is a national organization called NACAC. And uh, they had a regional organization. And I started applying all over the country. And I just started looking for college admissions jobs. And it was like the right time of the year for that particular industry between academic years, right? Between you know, over the summer when positions changed and people moved on and stuff. Gotcha. And so there were a lot of openings and I applied all over the country. I had a number of interviews and I got offered a position in Los Angeles at a teeny tiny speck of a little liberal arts college in Bel Air. And at the time, my sister was living in LA and I had a grandmother living nearby. And I was like, this is my chance to get out of Ohio. So I convinced my father to help us move a few large pieces of furniture out to my sister. And I got on a plane and I left. To LA. Did, LA. You, like, did you like the change? Uh, it was different. It was really, really different. I think I had like small Ohio values in the big city and, um, like I even took an apartment on campus because I didn't want to have to like figure my way out around LA and 
um, it, I was there for a number of years. I was there for a couple of years and I like did a great job with their enrollment and I loved the students and the faculty and had an incident where I needed to, that we, they brought in a new manager and he and I didn't get along and I was like, I'm out of here. So I started looking for another school to go to. And so I found another university, another very small, almost elite visual and performing arts college in Valencia. So I worked there for a number of years. That was a great experience. And um, that led me to a place where I felt like I wanted to go on to get a master's degree. So I left, um, I left there to finish my master in higher education enrollment management okay. and went on to another college after that. <laughs> <laughs> You've been to more colleges than most people have. <laughs> I really, I worked for four different universities and I, I spent the last over 10 years at, in one company. Oh, well. Um, so I really spent 20 years in college admissions working for different schools. And that's pretty common. People sort of like move up to move on in order to sort of excel. And I, I really thought I was going to like build my career. I thought I was going to be doing it forever. But there was a sort of saying, like, if you were in college admissions after three years, like you were a lifer. And then 10 years into it, I was like, I guess I'm a lifer now because I got a master's degree and here's what I'm doing. Right. You put a lot behind it. I was a computer programmer and I always thought I was going to be a computer programmer. And now, thankfully, I'm not a computer programmer. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I, I mean, it was a great experience. I met some incredible people, some amazing artists. I, I still keep in touch with a lot of my students through social media and I get to see what they're doing. And it's so adorable to see them doing what they're doing now and look back on, like I saw them when they were high school kids and you know shaking hands with their parents at the college admissions counseling fair. And it, it was a really beautiful process to see them grow and develop and get married and have babies and develop their own lives. And it's oh, just, nice. it's wonderful. Nice. So this is kind of an offshoot of what that was. Have, did you see a lot of changes in uh, in the colleges when you were working there or what, what colleges have turned into? I mean, I have, you know, I have nine, I have 11 and nine year old boys and I've just seen the price of college go up and the admissions and just the schools. It just seems like it's, you know, specialty schools are kind of becoming a thing. It's a thing. Uh, do you, do you see where this is going or? I think it's always been a thing. I mean, I think every university has its own sort of fingerprint and their own sort of flavor and their own personality. And that's why there's thousands of colleges all over the United States and why people will choose a public school versus a private school or a small school versus a big school, because there's no one size fits all. And, and I think there's a really important place for community colleges, for students who maybe can't afford a four, um, a four year education right away and need to get started and can have access to really great information and a great building block through community colleges. So I think that there's no one path for students. I mean, I've been out of college admissions for a, a few years now. So I know that things have changed significantly with the pandemic um, and the learning experience has shifted significantly. My husband works for Arizona State University. He's a, he's a professor online. So I mean, sort of getting it by proxy, but not through admissions, but I see what he's doing and how things have changed significantly. And so um, I, I always encourage students to think about the environments that make them comfortable, think about the environments that make them uncomfortable, and then look for something in between because typically it's something that's surprising. You know, think, oh, I really have a reach school. I really want to go here. I have a safety school. This is where I'm going to go if I can't get anywhere else. And somewhere in between is usually the truth. And usually it's something that pops up that you weren't thinking of, or someone will say, hey, have you, have you heard about this school? Have you checked this out? Because I know your kid and, you know, maybe you should take a look at this. Um, and that usually ends up being a good fit. 
what can what can a child or what can a freshman in high school do to even start preparing for that? Because it comes before you know it. <laughs> it comes before you know it. I think I think something that's really helpful is to sort of know yourself, right? And that is often really hard at that age. Hormones and peer relationships and different learning experiences. It's hard to sort of know who you are when you're a freshman because who you are as a freshman is going to be totally different in two years in three years, but I, but at the core, there's something that you really love. You love art, you love sports, you love music. You like to, there's something that you like to read or you like to study. And if you sort of have that pillar as a foundation, then that is a good springboard to identify an environment that you think that may be good for you. And I think it's perfectly okay to go tour. Like you've got time in the summer, take your parents and go down to the local college and go walk around and go take a tour at the admissions office. The more that you can get exposed to what things look like from the admissions perspective and what that process looks like, by the time you get to be a senior or sometimes juniors are graduating you know, a little bit early, by the time you get to that place, you're a lot more comfortable with the process looks like and you have more information to make an, a, a confident choice. Got you. I was, a, I was a late bloomer and pretty immature. And I, part of me, you know, I ended up going into communications, which some people go into communications because they want to do something in the communications field, but then there's the rest of us who do it just because don't have anything else. We didn't know what we want to do. <laughs> it's like psychology, uh, right? People go, oh, I'll just do psychology because that's something else to do. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you ever just advise people like, hey, take a year off, <laughs> find yourself a little more? Or... I would listen. I think that's an amazing idea. I mean, looking back on my life, I wish I had the opportunity to take a gap year or to spend a year volunteering or, stu or studying abroad. My husband runs a study abroad program. There's nothing quite like getting out of your own comfort zone and and seeing things from a different perspective. So I think there's extreme value in that. I mean, when I say extreme, I mean so much rich, juicy, meaty information, life experience that you may not ever have the chance to get after you graduate college and start a job and get into sort of the rigor of what is expected in capitalism these days. Um, and so I think that there's definitely a place for that. And I mean, I'm not a politician, but I certainly wish that there were more politicians who were developing programs for our young people in America to volunteer, to do things like the Peace Corps, to study abroad, to, to give back to their communities in a, in a way that is experiential than just sitting there reading a book. It really should. I know some people who have applied for the Peace Corps, some that got into it, others that apply for years and years and years. Like it would be wonderful. The government should have more because yeah. there's a lot of people that want to do that. It's yeah. just such a small opportunity. It seems like. And there's so much need. There's, so, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm not big into politics in general, but I feel like as a global community, we all need each other. And the more that we can experience interaction and interaction and connection, the more that we can be kinder, that we can be more compassionate, the more that we can understand that we are all a human race and we, we have a small planet. <laughs> we all need to be here with a finite amount of resources so that we can live happily ever after. Yeah, until Elon Musk can get us somewhere else where... <laughs> Um, well, I do hope that it becomes more acceptable for people to take the year off children too, because I, I, I think it's, I think I should have been able to do it. But when I was younger, it was like, what, take a year off? Like, you're just supposed to go to college. That's just what you're supposed to do. So, yeah. yeah. So hopefully that. Yeah, I was lucky enough in high school to be able to travel internationally twice um, through youth organization that I was part of. And I feel like that really opened my eyes to different opportunities and it helped give me a different framework of how I wanted to be in the world. And I know that it's very challenging for people who live in a small city or a small community to have those opportunities. And I would love nothing more than to see 
those opportunities become broader um, and and more with greater equity and access. I could not I could not agree more. Um, so when did you start getting into Feng Shui? Feng Shui. <laughs> F-E-N-G. It's like it's it's F-E-N-G, but it sounds like Feng F-U-N-G, but it's really F-E-N-G Feng Shui S-H-U-I. Okay. But it's really it sounds like Shui S-H-W-A-Y, like something that um you'd hear in a movie with uh what's his name from Wayne's World? Like that's something that Wayne would say. Right. Wayne and Garth. Yep. I think everyone's, I think everyone says Feng Shui. I'm pretty sure. They probably do. Yeah. I think that's the only way. We're going to try Feng Shui. (laughs) So I got into it because I was still working college admissions and I was working for a big company and it was this time period in my career where I thought I was going to beat this company and I was going to work my way up and I was going to be a lifer. Right. And so I um, was living in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, working for a for-profit college company. And it was a college and uh, they wanted to open a unit in Phoenix, Arizona. And I was like, Ooh, pick me. I will get out of the snow. Cause I was already living in Ohio and I had moved to California. And then I moved back to Pennsylvania. And I was like, I, it's time to go. And my husband was like, it's gray here. We can move. So they picked me up and they said, okay, we're going to have you open a unit in Phoenix. And uh, I did. And um, it was very successful initially. And then I moved into a house and almost immediately within a few months of moving into that house with my husband, everything started to fall apart at work. Um, It just, you, I'm sure everybody can relate. So there's somebody who's listening to this, you can write, you get into a position, something changes and it just, you think it's going in a predictable uh, specific trajectory and then it doesn't and things shift and you don't know what's going on. And that's exactly what happened. I like very quickly things fell apart and it wasn't going well. And it didn't work. Mm-hmm. And I chose to step down from my role after things started to go sour gotcha. and I was living in this house and I just was like looking around and I was like, what happened? Like everything was going really great until we moved in here. And I was already kind of into energy work and Reiki and I'd already read a a few feng shui books because I was trying to do it on my own and I couldn't figure it out. And so I hired somebody and I really thought that what I was getting was like low budget interior design (laughs) (laughs) and it totally wasn't. Um, So what is, what is feng shui just before? What is feng shui? That's a good question. So feng shui is actually an ancient Chinese art and science that allows us to create harmony and balance within any environment. So it's really a support system for our lives. When we create harmony and balance, it lends support to our lives. When our lives have support through our physical environment, then it's just easier for us to achieve the things that we want in life, like well-being and abundance, love and happiness. So when you're aligned with energy that's nourishing and supportive, your life is just better. You feel more at ease, you're in the flow, things are just going for you. And so with feng shui, typically the three things that people want to focus on when they're approaching feng shui as a resource is to address issues with health, wealth, and relationships. And that's exactly the situation that I was in. I was in a situation with my career where the relationship wasn't going well. And I was a little bit concerned about my financial outcome from that situation. And I was like in a hurry to fix it. And so I just, I brought that in as a resource to help me sort of stabilize the situation because I felt like the rug had sort of been pulled out right from underneath me. Um, and I didn't like that feeling. And so I, I 
I brought in this practitioner. She said, do all these things. And I did it. And over time I started to learn and I started to study and I took classes and I started to get trained. And it was like, kind of like a zipper. I started putting the pieces together and it was like, and then the penny dropped and literally the penny dropped because I was still at that company working. And I got a big bonus with a paycheck that had a lot of extra zeros that I was not expecting. And so all of a sudden my husband was like, Hey, extra zeros, there's gotta be something, this feng shui thing. What's this all about? It's like, as soon as the money came, my husband was like, all right, this is, there's something with this. So then I really started to study. I really, I went into private mentoring. I, I took my studies to the next level and I went much deeper with classical feng shui. And, um, and I stayed at that company for like almost a decade. And I would have stayed, the truth is I would have stayed at that company for a, another 10 years. I convinced myself that I would stay because I was making really good money. I was, I was using my feng shui. I was very good at my job. I loved what I was doing. And there was this like hunger inside of me for doing something more. So even though I loved what I was doing for about a year, I came home like in tears, <laughs> knowing that there was something else out there for me. And so I could sort of see the writing on the wall because I also do Chinese astrology and I do a few other things in my practice. So I knew what was coming down the pipeline with this position and where the company was going and what was going to happen in my own chart. And so I was really prepared. Like, even though I said I was going to stay, I was preparing to build my business even further and to, to make a shift. And then one day, as if on cue, they shut the whole building down. It wasn't like I got laid off the whole building. Wow. And so, you know, and people, and rightfully so, there were people who were like really upset that this is their livelihood and they didn't know what this was going to be. They felt, felt really blindsided. And I was like, it's my day. I'm free. <laughs> So and off I never look back. Uh, nice. So what is what is um that's that's amazing. You were you were they they cut the cuffs off like you would have never left because you I was not gonna leave. leave. Why would you want to leave good money? But you knew inside that you were meant yeah. to do something. The golden handcuffs, they were like golden handcuffs, and it was it was a don't get me wrong, it wasn't like it was a smooth transition completely, but I was super happy, like I was, I was like, they were like, here, you can turn your badge in today. I was like, here, I tossed my badge. And I was like, I'm out of here. It's like, I knew where I was going. So I could see what was the next thing was going to be. So I was super excited to jump into it. And that's a nice way to make a transition. I mean, I always say to people, don't, don't leave a good job. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't really encourage people to leave right away. Right. No. So how does feng shui I'm getting almost there. Feng almost feng shui. shui. Feng, feng, how, does, how does feng shui tie into like Chinese astrology and Reiki and other things you've mentioned? Yeah, so I actually don't practice Reiki in my business. It's something that I do sort of internally for myself, but it's sort of a building block for how I started with energy work because feng shui really is energy work. Mm -hmm. um, so with Chinese astrology, we look at the human aspect of the people living in the environment and in the space so that we can align the a person's energy with the physical energy. And when that connects, it sort of, it starts to light up. I think there's a little bit of a myth with feng shui that um, it has to be laid, laid out or audited in a very like one size fits all manner, meaning that the way that you do it only has to do with the door um, because that's very much a Western application of feng shui. And in classical feng shui, it's very much customized. So the orientation of the building 
is taken with a compass. So there's a very specific orientation that can be different for every building on earth. It can be completely unique. So and then the energy that? of the people living in the building is unique also. And so you have to so match what, that up. Sorry, what is that? It's a, a like a, a literal compass? Yeah, yeah, there's a, um, there is a Chinese tool. It's called a low pan. Mm -hmm. um, and it is a, it's a magnetic compass and it measures um, accurate to a half a degree of the building. And so you take this compass and you put it right up against the building and you get a specific measurement and it's a beautiful, beautiful instrument. And it has all kinds of characters and formulas and it tells you how the energy is coming in, how it can be utilized, if it's favorable or unfavorable. And then from that information, you can make a plan and identify sort of the energy centers in, the, in a house sort of like um, when you have a Wi-Fi signal going through a home, if you have a big house, there may be a part of the house where the signal is weaker um, and there may be a part of the house where the signal is stronger. And if you are having an important meeting, especially now that we're all working from home, if you have an important meeting or something significant, you're gonna go to the part of the house where the Wi-Fi signal is the strongest because you wanna make sure that it's steady and that you're supported and you're not gonna be interrupted and it's gonna go smoothly. That's the same sort of function of feng shui as a person, you're going to want to spend the most time in the energy of the house that is most supportive to you, where it's strongest and most supportive, and you're not going to have any obstacles. Okay. A Wi-Fi router, like it comes from a device where the, the Wi-Fi signals come out of, where does right. the energy come from? Because there's no- The energy comes from the surrounding area, right? So feng shui, actually, uh, the Chinese translation is wind water, and the poem goes something like qi or energy- rides on the wind and it stops at the boundary of water and it will collect in front of the boundary of water. And so the land forms, the mountains, the roads, the rivers, the valleys, all of that has a way of directing energy in a specific manner. And then what we want to do inside the house is see how it's coming in, how we can collect it and how we can use it. Okay. Um, it's hard to it's hard to completely grasp like it's it's really hard thing to imagine making a difference um by changing furniture by changing uh, right because what you've heard is if i put a bagua mirror on my house then my life is going to get better if i put a money tree in the money corner i will get money or if i put a frog in front of the house that has a coin in its mouth, then, you know, money will come to me. Right. It sounds all, it sounds very superstitious. It, right. And feng shui is not superstition. It's not a religion. We're talking about the energy of mother nature. This is like, how can those things help you? That's not, that's not aligning yourself with favorable energy. That's someone selling you something that isn't meaningful or doesn't work. Um, that's not what feng shui is to me. To me, feng shui is putting the right timing with the right alignment together with the right people. And when that happens, it's like a circuit and everything just lights up. Okay. What can, what can somebody do to try to make their house more feng shui? Um, yeah. I think the thing to do first is to address clutter. I think that here in the United States in particular, well, I mean, it's becoming more global we really need to deal with our clutter. We have so much stuff and we have more, especially here in the United States, we have larger spaces comparatively to the rest of the world. And so I think it's really important that we're practical about that and making sure that our home is not just a place to store stuff, that it's really a feeling, um, that we need to make sure that we're paying attention to our surroundings 
we just have so much stuff. We have to deal with the clutter. When you think about what's happening in the United States, the reason that we have storage facilities is because we have accumulated so many belongings that we have no relationship with that we have to rent a space down the street to store the stuff that we don't even use 90% of the time in the year. And that's not having a relationship with anything in, in your space. That's not being aligned with, with energy that's supportive to you. That, that was money once that you're not engaged with in any way. It's not helping you. It's not doing anything for you. And so I think it's really important to understand that dealing with your clutter is one of the fastest ways to bring in new opportunities. People say, oh, is the glass half full or is it half empty? Well, from my perspective, the glass needs to be completely empty in order for anything to come into it. Even if it's half full, there's still something there that is preventing all of the things that you want from coming in. So I really think it's important if you are going to do one thing right now, go declutter something and think about, I'm not saying that you have to live your life like a minimalist. I, I don't either. I have stuff in my house too, but I do look around every now and then and go, what's here that I can get rid of one third of? And you can even prove this to yourself. It's like trash bag therapy. You can go through your home, give away stuff, you know, throw away stuff that you don't need. If it's broken, if it's not usable, if it's stuff that is old or it's in disrepair, just get rid of it. You'll have a bag of stuff that you can donate, that you can, re, you know, sort of recycle or re-gift or is usable that you, maybe your kids have outgrown these toys and maybe they can be gifted to somebody else. And then you will have a pile, the sort of dodgy pile where you don't want to give it away. You're going to feel guilty if you get rid of it. You're not sure what to do with it. Maybe I'll need it someday. That's a very dodgy place to have, right? So my recommendation is put it in a box, write a date on it, stick it somewhere. And in six months, go back to that box. If you have not taken anything out of that box in six months, you've proven to yourself that you do not need it. It's not a need. You don't really need it. I completely understand. We have a shed that we go into every once in a while to move stuff so that we can get to something that we need and right. <laughs> all that stuff back. Um, and we try to keep the house decluttered, but it's it's hard. It's hard. And it is a little bit of a process. I mean, this there's a reason why one of the things that I do in my practice is I, have, I write a newsletter like twice a month. And one of the things I do quarterly is I remind people like, you need to clear out your gutters. You need to check for leaks. You need to make sure the windows are sealed. You need to check your roof. You know, there's home maintenance things that need to be done on a regular basis. And at the same time, I'm not talking about dust, right? I'm not, I'm talking about the pile of papers when you look at it and you're like, oh man, that pile of papers, I really should go through the pile of papers. And six months later, there's three of them. And a year from then, you know, there's six piles and I see this in people all the time and they just don't know how to tackle it. The way to tackle it is to just feel like if it's unused or if it's an accumulation of broken non-working items, it just doesn't need to be there. Right. Yeah. Oh, I got you there. Yeah. We, we remodeled our house. We moved all of our stuff into my parents' garage for a year while we remodeled, moved the stuff back into our house, which was now 70% bigger did not have enough room for all the stuff. Like, right. How did we have You're this? Like, where did I put life? this before? Why is this here? <laughs> no, we have more space and uh, less room for this stuff. Yeah, right. So right. How, does, how does the decluttering uh, tie into the energy? So really what you're doing when you're decluttering is you're opening up a space for things to come to you. It's a little bit like, sort of like a lack of faith. There's, there's something that happens in our psyche. A lot of this is psychological, that if we sort of have a lack of faith that if we don't get rid of something, that we're not gonna have something else to replace it. But the truth is, is that this is just the law of physics. 
nature ab abhors a vacuum. So it's going to have to be filled with something. Why not let it be filled with something that you really, really want or that you're excited about? It doesn't necessarily have to be a, an object. It doesn't have to be a collector's item. It could be an experience in your life. It could be a relationship. It could be a new job. It could be a new, a new place to live. But if you don't make space for it, how can it possibly come to you in, in all of its brilliance if your cup is not empty? You're really liberating yourself from the things, the stuff, and it can be emotional. It can be an emotional unpacking also so that you can create more space for the stuff you do want. Right. Um, okay. I, I get you. I, I understand there. What can people do? I've always heard that um, for feng shui, <laughs> trying. I think that was right. You're doing great. You're really, you get an A for effort for sure. Awesome. <laughs> that like you're in like a bedroom that the doorway shouldn't be behind the bed or the doorway should be in a certain part of the room. Like, is there anything to that, you know? Yeah, of course there is. There's, there's certain positions for furniture that may be better than others based on how the chi or the energy is coming into a space. And it can also be that what could be feeling like an awkward arrangement in a room can also be favor favorable for you as well. One of the systems that I use is called eight mansions. It's popular. It's very easy to apply. It's actually non-negotiable in my practice because it's very effective. And it essentially says that based on your year of birth, you will be broken up into, um, you'll be assigned what's called a Ming Gua or a life Gua. It's a little bit like giving yourself a Zodiac sign. And that particular Gua, which is translates to house or mansion or palace it's assigned to you based on your birthday and it tells you that you have four good directions and four bad directions, quote unquote, and no directions forever good or bad, but they have different uses in my practice. And so when you know what they are, you can sometimes make adjustments to your furniture or the, the rooms that you're in or the spaces that you're occupying in order to utilize one of the directions that's favorable for you. So it could be, for example, that you are sleeping on a wall where your headboard is on the north wall. So you're sleeping with your head to the north when you're when you're laying down at night. So the crown of your head is on the north wall. But maybe that's not favorable for you when you look at your eight mansions. Maybe one of your favorable directions is west. And so the thing to do is turn your bed 90 degrees um, to get into a different direction and see how that feels. Babies do this all the time. When you put a baby in a crib, you put them in a specific direction, but they often like turn themselves around at night and like without fail, you put them one way and you wake up the next day and they're totally in a different direction. And they just do it naturally because they're self-soothing. They can just naturally align themselves and they, they don't know that they're not supposed to move around like we do, but, but as adults, we go, oh, the bed goes in that wall and that's just where I'm going to sleep. And we don't really even think about it. But what if there's other options for you? What if just making a small shift the way that you sleep brings you other opportunities? It's just a different way of looking at things. My my eleven year old always ends up uh, sideways on his bed. Maybe <laughs> maybe I just have to move his bed. Maybe you just need to make a change to his bed. Right. <laughs> I I saw on your website you talk about the four pillars of destiny. Yeah. Bazai. What is that? Batsa. It's it looks it looks like Bazi, but it's mm -hmm. Batsa, um, and it is a it's a formation of essentially Chinese astrology, if you will, and it basically says that um, there's twelve animal signs the Chinese zodiac and these animal signs um, are derived from your birth data 
So the Gregorian calendar, whenever you're born, is translated to what's called the Chinese Tongshu. Uh, and that's a calendar, it's a solar calendar. And from that, that transformation of your birth data, we can then identify the five elements that, that com compose your year, month, day, and hour of your birth. And that can tell us quite a bit about someone. Um, BATSA actually stands for eight characters, eight meaning uh, ba and characters. It's a, uh, and so this chart looks like an eight square grid. There's four on the top and four on the bottom. They're called heavenly stems and earthly branches. And we know them more commonly by going to the Chinese restaurant and you look at the placemat and it says, oh, I'm born in the year of the snake. And you get really excited because it tells you information about the year that you're born. That's like the teeniest, tiniest little part of a four pillars of destiny chart. And that's really only very, very surface information. And sometimes you'll read that and be like, it's totally not me at all. And that's because it's not completely accurate all the time. So we, the reason that we look at a four pillars of destiny chart is so that we can understand our true nature. We can get to know ourselves better. This four pillars of destiny chart helps us understand the best parts of ourselves, how we can be in the world, um, what our talents are, what our, how our behaviors are, areas that we can grow, our weaknesses, sometimes even health issues. And so it's an important component to getting to know someone's unique personality and what their energy is. And that's one of the things I use in my feng shui practice. Okay. All right. Um, well, this has been, this has been super interesting. It has been um, interesting. I mean, this is really totally different, like 10 years and 20 years of college admissions to feng shui. It's a whole different life. Completely the opposite. Um, I, I guess, is there any science behind this at all? Sure. Absolutely. This is a, an ancient Chinese art and science. So the science part of it is we're using a compass with ancient time-tested formulas that are very specific. So we're measuring accuracy to about with work that I do, because I use a low pan, I, I'm accurate to about a half a degree and we're aligning things very specifically. Um, and we usually only have a few inches to work with. So if I say to a client, turn your, your bed is this way, turn your bed this way. I mean, very specific about it. Um, and, and it's kind of incredible to see how people make shifts and make changes and make, um, make opportunities to move the needle from point A to point B and they're moving along that quicker. Thank you so much uh, for being here. And I know your website is fsinmotion.com. Yes. Correct? Yes. Right, so please visit Jillian at fsinmotion.com. Um, and again, this is a Dweebs Global production and they get free mentorship help from everything from mental health to resume writing. You name it, they have a they have someone that speaks any language you need out there as well. We support everyone and we have people all around the world ready to help for free, for free. And again, thank you, Jillian, fsinmotion.com. And it was a delight to have you. It was wonderful. Thank you. Oh, thank you.